This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. I'm reading from the book of Luke, uh, Jesus' words. They're from chapter 6, verses 20 to 36. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of, he- of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. For you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Second Bible reading is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, 
shall we be saved through his life. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your word with our ears, but also to receive it into our hearts and to show it forth in our lives for the glory of your great name. Amen. Please take a seat. Well, in case you don't know me, my name's Tim Escott. I'm one of the ministers here, obviously. Uh, and you, could, you should find the sermon outline uh, in the handout that you got as you came in the door. And we'll be looking at Romans chapter 5 together. Well, in the movie The Shawshank Redemption, Brooks Hatlin is released from prison after serving 50 years in jail. But as he walks out the prison doors and takes a bus across town holding his suitcase on his knees, things just aren't right. He tries to settle into his apartment, but he's afraid of the new world. Without his friends, with no family, he can't find peace. And so at 73, alone and disoriented, he can't see the future. For Brooks, justice has been done. He's served his sentence, but there's no real peace. And no real hope. I think this captures something that we see a lot of, where justice might be done, but we're still a long way from any real sense of peace or hope for the future. Our divided societies can be a bit like this, and so can our personal lives and our relationships. Even where there might be justice or fairness on paper, maybe an acquittal, legal procedures followed, a policy in place, a marriage certificate, a divorce settlement. Despite those things, the hostilities can bubble away under the surface. Many of you know this kind of thing too personally. And so peace and hope can really seem like a long way off. Many of us experience this spiritually too. The book of Romans so far has uncovered our deepest problem. That despite whatever goodness we might have, We are all deeply broken, even sinful. And so we stand together under the judgment of God. And yet, because of Jesus' death for us, God declares us innocent. He justifies us, takes away our sin, and declares us to be in the right. Justice is done. But sometimes that can feel just a bit like a legal formality. The court case is settled, but the relationship feels like it remains frosty and distant. And perhaps you feel like God looks down on you severely and stony-faced, displeased with your continuing failures and foibles, punishing you with afflictions and ready to cut you off. And so the guilt and regret and shame can linger. The suffering can make you doubt whether God really loves you. And the hope of heaven can feel more like just an aspiration. Maybe God will accept me when the time comes. If I've been good enough, I just can't be sure. I guess I'll never know until I get there. Justice might be done, but where is the peace and the hope for the future in that? Well, Romans chapter 5 is another turning point in the book. Because after all this talk about Righteousness and justification in chapters 1 to 4. 
Paul anticipates these very questions that, that I've just raised for us, and he opens up the floodgates of the full implications of this verdict. And in case we have any doubt, he declares right there in verse 1, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is no black, mere black or white formality. Like any relationship, our problem was never simply legal, but personal. We had rejected and spurned God, our creator who loves us. And so we were his enemies. And it wasn't just that we were hostile to God, but also him to us. We were objects of his wrath. But now, since we have been justified, it's not simply a ceasefire or a veneer of harmony. There really is peace with God. He has reconciled himself to you with love and acceptance and warmth. Gone from an enemy to a trusted friend. From a cold shoulder to a warm embrace. This is peace with God. And verse 2 puts this peace slightly differently. Through Jesus Christ, it says, We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. This peace means that we now have access to his grace. Now, this idea of grace has been kind of floating just under the surface uh, as we've been going through Romans so far. Uh, but what exactly is grace? It can sound like one of those mystical religious words, but it's fundamentally this. God's generous favour to us, even though we are unworthy. God's generous favour, even though we are unworthy. We don't deserve it. I don't know if you've had an experience like this in life, where there's someone who perhaps you, you don't know them very well, uh, but you can see them from afar and you really respect them, hold them in, really, in high esteem. Uh, they're... Uh, a great person in your eyes, and so you just don't feel worthy to be heard or noticed by them. But despite your unworthiness and feelings of unworthiness, they open themselves up to you, show an interest in you, befriend you, and welcome you into their favour and love. And that's a bit of a picture of God's grace toward us. But it's so much more because... It's, it's not just that we're kind of not quite there, but it's more like as if you had insulted that person terribly or committed an awful crime against them. But despite that, they show you grace, generous favour, even though you don't deserve it. And so this is God's grace. His holy, perfect, life-giving creator of the universe reaching out and giving his favour, life and love and peace to us who are completely unworthy. And this is a grace in which we stand. We don't move in and out of God's favour. Like a, a king or queen's courtiers who are in, who hope to be invited into the palace. Because of Jesus Christ, we remain in God's grace we live in God's grace. He doesn't just invite us to make an appearance every now and then. It's now our home 
We've come with our bedroll and our pillow into the throne room and set it up right there next to him. We are there to stay. It might feel like you move in and out of peace with God. You do and say things that might leave you on the out. But if you trust Jesus, that's wrong. The truth is you always have God's favour. You always have peace with him. And so there's nothing that you can do apart from walking away from him that can ever change that. We have peace with God. There's a problem here because if we really have peace with God, why can life be so hard? If we're always in his favour, why doesn't he seem to answer our prayers? And Why do awful things happen to us? Isn't this evidence that God actually dislikes us? Well, the Apostle Paul knew this all too well. He, he wrote the book of Romans. He was one of Jesus' chosen apostles. He was imprisoned, flogged, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, mugged and starved. And yet look what he says in verse 3. We also glory in our sufferings. What an astonishing thing to say. To glory or boast or rejoice in suffering. And he's not just saying he is joyful despite suffering. He's actually talking about glorying in it because of it. Why on earth would he say that? Is this just perverse masochism where he's taking delight and pleasure from pain and humiliation? Well, there are lots of complex answers to the question of suffering and why Christians can glory in it. But there's one that Paul gives here. And that's that suffering can actually shape us and form us into the kinds of people that God wants us to be. In his novel, Brave New World, Aldous Huxley imagines a dystopian future. Not of heavy-handed totalitarian control, but of control through enforced superficial entertainment and happiness, kind of hedonism that snuffs out discontent. And central to the project is Soma, a feel-good drug that's dispensed like Pez. Character Mustafa tries to urge the main character, John, to take it. He says this, he says, There's always Soma to calm your anger, to reconcile you to your enemies, to make you patient and long-suffering. In the past, you could only accomplish these things by making a great effort and after years of hard moral training. Now, you swallow two or three half-gram tablets and there you are. Anybody can be virtuous now. You can carry at least half your morality in a bottle. Christianity without tears. That's what Soma is. The world that Huxley paints is both attractive and repulsive. We want to be patient and long-suffering, yes, But achieving it in a tablet, it's just not right. It's too simple. It's too superficial. It isn't possible. And it isn't real. When we approach it in the right way, suffering develops in us perseverance and endurance. That's what he says in verses 3 and 4. It can build in us the grit and fortitude of a marathon runner that we need to continue to survive and thrive in life. 
And then this endurance produces proven character, the virtues of humility and patience, gentleness and self-control. And this leads to hope, having our eyes lifted from here and now, recognizing that there is more and that God is the source of it. So this isn't masochism. It's not the suffering itself that is good, but the result. And it's not stoicism that tries to be indifferent to the suffering by just suppressing strong emotions. No, it's about recognizing the suffering, but growing through it. Like muscles, our endurance, our character and our hope only grow when they're exercised. And so this is one reason that we can actually glory in our sufferings. And this glory, it's not about kind of happiness, this shallow and fickle emotion dependent on circumstances. This is about a deep joy and glory that hopes and trusts in this God who is with you and growing you in whatever you might face. And you might be thinking, well, that's easy to say. But it's a completely different thing when I'm in the thick of it. Especially then. How is it really possible to know and experience the peace that you have with God? Let alone have hope. Well, the key to it is right here in the climax of Paul's argument. In verses 5 to 8. And what this is all about, these verses, is that despite what you might think or feel, God loves you. God loves you. It's not just this kind of mechanical path of moral development. God wants and has an emotional affection and connection with you. Verse 5, that's what it means. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you doubt whether God loves you, Maybe you just need to slow down and pay closer attention to what the Holy Spirit is testifying to you, is is trying to tell you that when you trust Jesus, God is your loving Father who is with you and cares for you. But if if you're like me and you want a little bit bit more to go off, uh, we also have concrete evidence of God's love at the cross. And so we can see God's love there in a couple of ways. And the first is that Christ died for us. He died for us. Now, I've got uh, this, um, a young person who I minister to who asked, who's asked me a few times, you know, if Jesus is God and he was going to rise again from the dead anyway, what was so bad about dying? That's a really good question. And... Uh, you know, what was so bad about it? Like, yes, crucifixion was the most painful, brutal form of execution. And yes, it was terribly shameful. And the crucified were mocked and scorned by the Romans and also by the Jews who considered anyone to be crucified to be cursed. But what makes it so horrendous is that at the cross, the Son of God experienced the full judgment of God that was meant for us on himself for our sake the judgment of God that we deserved and that's why his experience of death was so was so awful 
And that's why it's such an it's such an astonishing picture of God's love because he took that when he died for us. And that for us bit, that's, that's the other aspect of seeing God's love for us on the cross. That Christ died for us. Uh, it's our kids' birthday season at the moment. They're all kind of clustered around together around, in, a, in a couple of months. And I'm not very good at, at buying gifts, but I love getting good things for my kids. Partly because I think they're worthy of it. I'm their dad. We love each other. They're a bit like me. Uh, it's part of the relationship. I might even go so far as to die for them if I needed to. And we can be remarkably generous to people who we love and who we feel are worthy. But what's really hard is being generous to people who we don't think are worthy, who aren't very lovable. Would you go out of your way to give a great gift to someone who cheated you? Or lied to you or abandoned you, let alone would you die for them? Of course not. But God's love is different. We were completely unworthy of his love and yet Jesus Christ still died for us. Verse 6, as verse 6 puts it, we were powerless hopelessly unable to extract ourselves from sin or from God's anger. In the end of verse 6, we were ungodly or godless. We worshipped ourselves and our things and our, and our dreams. And in verse 8, we were sinners, transgressors, wrongdoers, guilty. And verse 10, we were his very enemies. And so it's not because of our loveliness or our worth that God has made peace, but only out of the depths of God's love. It was out of that that God gave his very own son to die for us. So how do you know that you really have peace with God? That there is real and sure hope? Look at the love that God has shown, shown to you. At your lowest point, when God feels strict and stony-faced, look at the cross where his son went through all that for you. When you feel afraid and ashamed, listen to God's spirit in you, assuring you that he is your gentle father and he loves you. But that's not all. Because peace with God, it's not just about how we feel now or a religious experience in the present. This love and peace means that we have hope for a future glory and salvation and eternal life. Now, it's easy to lose sight of it, but judgment's coming. We don't know when it will be or exactly what it will be like. It could be this afternoon might be long after we're dead and buried, but it will come. Does it frighten you? Are you ready to stand before God's judgment? I think as Christians, even as Christians, it can be easy to feel a bit of trepidation about God's judgment. I mean, who knows whether I'll be good enough in the end? And what if it turns out I 
didn't ever really quite cut it. If you feel trepidation about this, hear what the scriptures are saying to you today. Verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? If you have been justified, if he died to make peace with you, then you can be absolutely certain that on that last day, you will be saved. You can be sure that you will have eternal life with him. This isn't just an aspiration, vague hopes of things that may lie in the future, that things will turn out all right in the end. If you trust in Jesus, your eternal destiny is sure and secure. You have peace with God and he, because he loves you and he gave himself for you. He accepts you and you live perpetually in his favor and grace. And so, of course, on that final day, he will not be angry with you. He will welcome you in, bring you home. And so what we have is not simply justice done, a clean slate but a cold relationship and uncertain future. Justice is done, yes, but we also have real peace with God and a sure and living hope of eternal glory and life with the God who loves us. And so with Paul in the final verse, we glory, we boast, not in our goodness or in our privilege or in a self-centered triumphalism, but in his great mercy with joyful and God-centered worship. Let me pray. Our Father, we praise you for your love. We thank you that even though we have not been worthy, that you have poured your love out into our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that you've given your Son for us, so that all who believe in him may not perish but have eternal life. And so help us to overflow with thanks and praise and worship. and Fill us with a deep sense of peace and lift our eyes to the hope we have for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.